The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. So here's the deal. I'm talking to Dave Shellbetter on the phone, and we're just kind of chatting about this and that. And he goes, Jack, did you hear about the flying trailer? And I'm going, what, the flying trailer? He says, yeah, no, really. I sent you this thing. Did I send you this thing about the flying? I don't think you sent me this thing about the flying trailer. He says, oh, I'll send you the thing about the flying trailer. So he sends me this thing. It's a uh, it's a web page from an outfit called, you guys see this? Globalspec.com. Uh, flying trailer. Towed by planes lands itself. It's, I mean, there's just a lot of information here. But uh, the the notion is that it sort of looks like it sort of looks like one of them uh, car carrier things that you strap to the top of your car. Right? It's kind of got that sort of pseudo streamlined shape to it, and it's got sort of a vertical stabilizer fin on the back of it, and it's got a rotor. It's like an autogyro kind of rotor, and the idea is that you attach it by some sort of line to the tail of your aircraft, and you tow it, and it flies behind you. Uh, and and I think it got to come with another kind of line because I think a line is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's gone to a lot of effort here to uh, to describe this thing. And although there's no obvious, I mean, maybe obviously, I think obviously no uh, no demonstration of this thing. There are uh, there are computer generated simulations of it, and uh, it's just bizarre. It's just, I mean, I, I volunteered to videotape it from a distance. From a dis- there, there, there we go. I was just going to say I'll show up with my camera uh you just put me in the, you know get me out to the right spot and and uh and, and and i'm more than willing to document the uh uh effectiveness of it but well, would really suggest is... that you want to do this in private the first few times yeah. well no no so the argument is that you can tow gliders behind your airplane so clearly you can tow something behind your airplane and and autogyros are sort of you know supposed to be incredibly stable, self writing you know oh, all that, that kind that, of the uh, the was it the Benson auto autogyro right, right. Uh, back Gyro, in the fifties that's that's how it showed up on TV was that it'd be right. the subject of this and they would be towing a trainer behind a pickup truck right no motor you know no prop right. uh, just a, a glider gyro yeah. And, uh, Right. So, so, so obviously this is doable, right? This could work. Well, it could work. It, the the auto the auto gyro technology is proven and works and all of that kind of thing. But there's one, oh, I don't know, detail that's yeah. kind of sort of missing from from this. The auto gyro happens to have like you know something called a pilot <laughs> yeah. uh, who, who's controlling it. Yeah. And, and this this uh, air trailer uh, auto aerial cargo delivery system, uh, quote unquote, uh, by definition has no pilot. So I'm kind of curious as to, you know, in, in reading some of the the um, the applications for this um, this device, they're talking about you know flying it to a location and then uh, cutting it loose from the tow plane and letting it land itself. 
I don't see a whole lot of electronics or, or um, uh, artificial intelligence. Oh, no, or anything no, no, no. It's, like, into this. it's like you like to say, so, Jeb, it'll work once. It'll land once. It'll work once, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but we, we have an aerial cargo delivery system already in existence. Yeah. It's called a C-130. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and there's some, there's some traction with the automatic landing thing. That was one of the things that was shown in the films in, from the 50s, was that right. you could get a guy up in this thing and have him take his feet off the rudder pedals and his hands off the tiller, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And cut it loose from the rope, and it would just come down at a steady uh-huh. state and touch down pretty reasonably and roll out. All well and good. How are you going to aim it? Well, that, that, that's one question. And the other question is, how much horsepower are you going to need to tow this and still maintain a reasonable speed to go somewhere because well that's I'm, that's I'm, certainly I'm kind of curious I've watched banner towers uh-huh. many times the uh-huh. the snatch the tow the drop uh-huh. uh there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of drag going on with that now admittedly yeah. this should be a little cleaner than that but uh like I said yeah. I, yeah. I'm not going to be the not first s- one to try it It'll be cleaner, but not so much lighter. I won't. I wouldn't think so. You know, the the mass you're towing, especially if the air trailer has a load in it, um, isn't going to be uh, all that conducive to to uh, speed. But the other great thing I like uh, about this, you start peeling the onion on on uh, the applications and whatnot. You know, obviously. Um, what are you going to do? You, you put this thing behind the airplane and taxi out and, and take off? That's not necessarily the way they intend for it to be done. The way they intend for it to be done is to do it like you're you're uh, doing a banner tow. You snatch the banner. Well, they want you to snatch the air trailer. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, who we? That means you know a whole whole another set of training. Uh, um, it, it says, uh, I was just reading the so fine this print. Is, this is kind of a uh, professional tool. Yeah. Jeb, what's the fine print say? Yeah, this, this is, yeah, this is not Harry homeowner stuff here. Uh, it says both half ton models require a towing aircraft with about 250 to 350 horsepower, okay. an aircraft equipped with a standard glider towing rig. And the pilot will require some two to three days training to receive a towing endorsement. Uh, both models can be towed by plane or helicopter to about 120 knots. And here's the punchline. Sorry, but I have to say it. The half-ton standard model sells for $75,000 US dollars. The expendable, there's an expendable model. Well, yeah. so it's only $20,000. You mean they're different? Yeah, you know, right. I can buy I can buy airplanes all day for twenty grand. I know, especially if you consider them expendable. Yeah. So, anyways, all right. Well, especially if you consider them expendable. So. Yeah. When I think of the pain in the butt, it is to get my this, gear this through an airline checkpoint. This, this is, would be easier. Yeah, Jeb, go ahead. Yeah, this is this is. Well, it's, it's I don't know. Getting through an airline checkpoint, learning how to tow a banner. I don't know. Kind of fifty fifty on my side, but. Uh, uh, this is clearly something designed, you know, to sell to a government or uh, or a military or, or something like that. And I can see where uh, it would have some applications, um, especially when it comes to getting uh, something heavy or um, outsized out of a small area. Um, um, and you've got some crew on the ground. 
Um, you set this thing up, you know, drop it in by on a pallet or something from some other aircraft or helicopter in or something like that, and set it up. Uh, um, get the the uh, the tow line uh, rig rigged out and and um, spin the rotor up a little bit and have your tow plane come along and snatch it out and away you go. But um, that's not for the faint of heart. I think that snatching thing and reading this more. I think that's an optional takeoff uh, for remote areas. Otherwise, the idea is to take it off from a suitable runway, uh, like you would lift off a, a, a sailplane. It may, and, it, uh, may, it may be. I, I just, I'm just reading here. So I'll read again. Both half-ton models require the towing aircraft and an aircraft equip, equipped with a standard uh, glider towing rig, and the pilot will require the two, three days of training to receive the towing endorsement. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to snatch it off the ground like you do a banner tow every time. Um, right. Uh, there's uh, air trailers can be ground towing into the air from remote areas with a ground-mounted catch loop uh-huh. and a shepherd's hook trailing from the towing aircraft in exactly the same manner as banners and flying billboards. Right, but yeah, yeah. the the normal I think is supposed to be like you're towing up a sailplane. Uh, they use a pre rotator for the a little motor to pre rotate the, uh, the the rotor halfway. And I guess if you can snatch it out of a 200 foot long field with an airborne airplane, it must get flying pretty quick. Uh, but uh, like I said, I'd be glad to show up and take the pictures. <laughs> yeah. I'll- I'm going to be off to the side a little bit. So. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, Shelbetter. We've given this some thought. And uh, what we want to do is we want you to arrange to use all of your clout and muscle to arrange to get a sample of these things down in April in Lakeland. And uh, we'll check it out. Like we said, we'll take pictures from a distance. And, and, and uh, oh, I don't even I, I need think, to be that far away. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've got I've got a long piece of glass that I can use, yeah. Um, um, but I think this would be great entertainment. Yes, you know, during the air show. There you go. And uh, I think you know whoever gets to fly oh, this. Oh man, I is just definitely had... drawn short straw. That's right, David. Go ahead. I just had the picture of the little Volkswagen pulling up in front of the crowd at the Three Ring Circus, and eighteen clowns piling out. <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking, wow, you land this, you know, you 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 tow it by the air show crowd, you release it, it lands, and then out pops eighteen air show clown pilots. I just I just had the mental image from the movie Con Air of them dragging this cherry uh, antique Corvette through a building. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, no, I, All right, all right. We're willing to be convinced, but from some distance. Hey, welcome, folks, to episode 168 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on uh, Tuesday, I believe it is Tuesday evening, January 12th, 2010. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar. This evening is, uh, first of all, Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from somewhere near sunny, warm, beautiful Sarasota, Florida. <laughs> Talk to me this weekend, sport. It'll be 75 and sunny. Okay, you tell. All right. I'm, I, you know, from your lips to, you know, whoever's ears, it's, uh, right. how you doing tonight? Well, I'm, I'm okay. I, I'm, I think I'm starting to get a little bit of a bug here. From, uh, okay. Uh, Sorry to hear it. Well, that's because it's so cold down there. You need to wear your sweater, you know, and. Well, I, I, so all that stuff's packed and um, doesn't really look good on somebody down here. So um, 
I don't wear a sweater that much anymore. Yeah, okay. but uh, well, yeah, see. it's been it's been really frigid and and whatnot. But I, we do see the light at the end of the tunnel finally. And as I say, by the weekend we should be back to to more of a, a normal Florida winter. Just in time for Sebring to arrive. Yeah. And also here Just in the virtual hangar, Sebring is uh, Dave Higdon, who's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you tonight? Oh, well, uh, just enjoying uh, the the heat wave we have here. We've got uh, above freezing for the second time this year and the third time since uh, a week before Christmas and uh, warmed all the way up to about 33 today. Mm. So, uh, you know, really balmy and pleasant. and It's starting to eat the snow off the ground that's been here for the last three and a half weeks. So. Yeah, and and hearing more airplanes in the air, except for this morning when there was freezing fog, and uh, and I mean like serious visibility reducing fog, Mm -hmm. and twenty eight degrees or twenty six degrees, so it condensed on everything and then froze into these wonderful ice crystals. It looked like the whole world had been flocked. Yeah, that's flocked. F L O C K. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you tonight from from Coropolis. I think it's Coropolis, Coropolis, Pennsylvania, uh, uh, where it's it's snowed. They tell me here for the last 13 consecutive days. It's uh, and it's certainly I've only been here for two. It's definitely snowed. Uh, well, two and a half. It's snowed for each of the three days that I've been in town. So uh, uh, yippee! It's uh, it's it's ironically down here in Pennsylvania. It's more wintry than it is up in New Hampshire. It's just a bizarre, bizarre winter so far, as Jeb, yeah. as uh, yeah. Jeb can tell you. Well, you're so, right on the Ohio. You know, over, over the weekend, it wasn't that far north of here. It was, over the weekend, it wasn't that far north of here. It was snowing. I know. I think I mean, we should talk to James. I bet it snowed where he is in uh, St. Augustine. Up Probably, there, uh, yeah, yeah. There was a swath that, of, of snow and flurries that went across North Florida, or the northern part of the peninsula, anyway. Yeah. There's a there's a picture I saw on, uh, on some news website. It showed... Uh, it was. It's the stereotypical Florida is freezing picture that shows a bunch of uh, oranges on the tree, uh, caked in ice. You know, with icicles hanging with ice. around them. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. While you're there in Coropolis, yeah, you, you should get wanna... downriver to uh, uh, Gallipolis. <laughs> what's uh, in What's in Gallipolis? Well, that's the hometown of Bob Evans. Bob Evans, like uh, there's a restaurant. Bob Evans, is that Bingo, what you're yeah, right? Okay. Bob Evans Farms. No, no relation to Dale Evans. <laughs> yeah, right. No, different, different kind of thing altogether. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Coropolis, for anyone who's interested, is uh, sort of right outside of of Pittsburgh. Uh, generally, we say we're going to Pittsburgh, but in fact, we're in Coropolis. Coropolis is uh, is right next to where the airport, the the big international, the big you know commercial airport is located. The big airline airport is located, and, uh, we're, and you're right on the river there, aren't you? Uh, I yeah, the river. I know from the maps, the river is nearby. We don't actually see it from where we are, but uh, yeah, it's uh, and we're up here doing some more meetings for for our clients. So uh, we're near the airport, as these things are wont to be. But uh, huh. anyways, and then and then if that's not bad enough, I head tomorrow for Erie, Pennsylvania, which is right up there on the lake. Um, yeah. Months yeah, ago, north of you. Yeah, months ago when people told me that uh, we're going, to, you know, they said you're going to Erie this time of year. You know, it snows every day in Erie, and I've been watching the weather f- for the past few weeks, and it does in fact snow in Erie every day. Um, and uh, I mean, unlike the 13 consecutive days where, although it snowed, they didn't get a lot of snow here. Apparently, there's some serious snow up in Erie, so I'll report back on that one. But uh, that's going to. Who, who did you anger? 
<laughs> you know, you got to earn a living, man. I don't know. Uh, all in all, it's a good it's a good gig, but uh, I, I don't know about some of these places they're asking me to go to. They wanted me to go to to uh, Thunder Bay, Ontario, in a couple weeks. And uh, oh, it's nice up there. Yeah, right. <laughs> I had to decline. Yeah, in but, June. Yeah, exactly. You exactly. Was. You know. So what uh, a gee, many Christmas! And you live in New Hampshire. I, I, you're afraid. Uh, you're afraid of Thunder Bay. Uh, under protest, I live in New Hampshire. But, uh, anyways, uh, what's going on in the world here? She had anything to do with it. And who's this talking to me? Yeah, right. <laughs> we saw this really cool video recently <laughs> of a uh, blew right jab. past it, didn't he, Jeb? Yeah. Jeb, this is uh, here's a yet another possibility for your next airplane. Uh, it's a very very cool video of a DC three on uh, on amphibious floats. And uh, did you get a chance to look at this? Uh, yeah, I, yeah I, had to, like, I have yeah. not. I've I've seen. Oh, you got to watch yeah, this video. It's I've pretty cool. I've seen this before. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's. Uh, I had seen a still picture of this. This, this video actually was uh, shot uh, up in Maine. There's a. There's a. I don't know how. F- it's certainly well known in uh, New England aviation circles. Um, every uh, early fall, late summer, there's a fly-in up in Greenville, Maine, uh, which is the Greenville Seaplane Fly-in, and uh, it's become quite a big deal. Lots of uh, seaplane activity up there. Um, there's an airport right adjacent to a lake, and uh, there's a seaplane base there, and. Uh, um, a lot of the footage that you see in this DC-3 on floats uh, video was shot um, up there on that lake, I think uh, uh, at the same time as one of the fly-ins back in the 80s. Um, so, uh, But it's very, very cool. Apparently they built about, uh, about a dozen of these, or they, they were in the process of building about a dozen of these, uh, these kits or these sets of floats so they could add them to DC-3s back in the wartime. Um, and... Uh, um, mm-hmm. I guess only a handful of them actually got finished, and and this is one one uh, instance that uh, still basically yeah. ex- uh, exists. Um, apparently, it's got damaged. I, I bumped in. I was up at Sanford the other day, and I bumped into a a guy who was wearing a Greenville fly-in hat, and we were talking about the uh, the uh, the DC three on floats, and he was telling me how it's uh, the airplane is still sitting up there at uh, at Greenville. Um, it apparently mm-hmm. got got damaged during a windstorm or something. He said it was sitting on the ramp and they didn't, this is according to the guy I spoke to, it was sitting on the ramp and they didn't really think that they needed to tie it down or anything because it was a big honking airplane and it wasn't going anywhere. Well, apparently they got a big enough windstorm a couple of years ago that it actually rolled across the ramp. Uh, sadly, took wow. out a couple of other aircraft in the process, damaged the floats, I think is what he said. So right now it's off its floats and uh, I guess it's on conventional wheels and uh, the floats hmm. are maybe being repaired so it's it's not necessarily airworthy it's certainly not aqua worthy at this time and uh, i'll tell you what i haven't seen a grumman albatross operate up really close yeah it, uh, i'm sorry it's really what dave and, and that was impressive a, a grumman albatross op- seeing it operate up very close in very yeah. close proximity was so impressive but Seeing something like this operate, uh, it's just, that just—it's just a mind blower. Even looking at it on video, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny. It's the the floats put it so f- when it's when it's on its wheels, um, up on you know on land. Obviously, uh, it's so high up off the ground. So a DC three, the door, the uh, uh, 
okay. pivots down, and there are stairs on the back side of the door, so the door turns into a stairway. And normally that reaches the ground because it's a tail dragger, and towards the end, towards the tail, it's low enough that this reaches the ground. Well, when it's up on floats, you have to lower the door, and then there's a ladder extension that goes even lower than that, and that only gets you down to the top of the floats. And then they have to put a step ladder next to the floats so that you can climb down off the floats. I mean, the thing is so high up off the ground when you put it up on these floats and on its wheel wheels that uh, it's it's quite a thing so you gotta check out this video jeb I'm, I'm really sorry that you didn't get a chance to look at it. i know you can't look at it now because your your web connection would just completely fall apart i would imagine but oh. uh, but you gotta check I'll this out it, it's yeah. very very cool i, I will well, yeah. for our, all of our, our listeners who uh, uh aren't are you know at their computer and able to to load this up yeah um, so uh it's uh, we apologize it's a, I believe it's a YouTube video, or it's a pair of YouTube videos. It's long enough that it needed to be split in two. Um, I found it on uh, uh, airpigs.com, which is uh, a, a cool aviation uh, uh, website. But we'll put a link both to Airpigs and to the uh, YouTube videos in our show notes. So I was up at Sanford the other day. Um, I actually had breakfast with uh, Jeff Ward. Uh, Jeff called me a few days in advance that he was looking to go flying, and uh, was I go around? He'd fly up to Sanford, and we'd. So he did. He flew up in uh, one of uh, one of uh, his club's uh, uh, Warriors, and uh, and we had breakfast, and that was kind of fun. We were just talking about uh, aviation and technology and Twitter and whatnot, and. Uh, uh, after breakfast, we uh, I said, "Come on, we'll go look at the Gobosh." Right, so we kind of went next door and and uh, asked if we could go in the hangar, and they of course said yes. So we stepped into the hangar, and it's really funny as we stepped into the hangar, I, the Gobosh. They actually have two Goboshes at Southern Maine right now. They've got a red one and a blue one. All right, and I think it was the blue one that was sort of right in front of us as we stepped through the side door, and I looked at it and I go, "That doesn't look right. What's different?" And then, and then I suddenly realized. The canopy's gone. I mean, the canopy was completely removed from the airplane. And I, you know, I was like joking around. I turned my head back into the office. And I said, oh, you're missing a part of your gobosh here. And, uh, and uh, so one of the FBO guys comes out and he was explaining to us what happened. Interesting story because we were talking recently on this podcast about what happens if a door comes open in flight and, uh, in, you know, how to deal with that. And in fact, it's not that huge a deal usually. And, uh, but, Here's what happened. Um, the go, on the Gobosh, uh, the canopy apparently came open in flight, uh, or at least one side of it became unlatched. And, and it, so it started to rise. This is, again, as, as it was, the story was related to me, and I hope I'm relating it accurately. Um, the canopy started to rise. The pilot sort of didn't exactly know how to react to this. And th- either, either thinking about it or by reflex... He chose to grab at the canopy to hold it down, and the where he grabbed it was in the uh, the little uh, sliding window that's off to his left hand, and so he went and he grabbed it and he was pulling down on it to try and keep it from coming open, thinking that the canopy was going to like spring open or something like that, um, and and he apparently applied enough force or enough sideways force. Hello. Here you're back. Uh, when did you lose me? <laughs> and there's Jeb back. Yeah. You, when you were, did you, you? When did you lose me? Because I just I just kept talking. I was having a good old time telling the story. Catch you up. Just so, walk, like, you walked in the hangar, and the FBO guy was 
was explaining what happened. Apparently, the pilot tried to grab something, and then you went off into Never Neverland. No, yeah, no, you I, said I, tried to grab the rail or something. You have to understand, I didn't go off into Neverland. I was having a good old time telling this story. I thought you guys were paying rapt attention. <laughs> Little did I realize that the line had just been disconnected and that you weren't even listening anymore. But uh, let's see now. Where was I? I went in, and uh, the canopy had uh, come unlatched in flight, and the pe- pilot decided that he needed to restrain it, and he did that by grabbing through the uh, sliding little air little window there, the little, little air vent on the side of the canopy. And uh, I managed to apply enough force, either by pulling or, or whatever, I don't quite, can't quite visualize it, but uh, he cracked the wind, the, the, uh, the canopy. Uh, he put a, put a, uh, a, a he basically, uh, it didn't shatter or anything, but it just put a big crack downward from that point down to its base. And, uh, um, so anyway, he got back on the ground safely. That part was fine. Uh, but now the canopy's cracked, and uh, so they had to take it off of that aircraft. And uh, because the uh, this damaged aircraft was the rental gobosh, uh, they wanted to keep it flying. So they took the uh, canopy off of the other one, which is the for sale gobosh. And uh, for the time being, the uh, the uh, the uh, blue gobosh has a red canopy on it, uh, and it looks kind of looks a little odd, but. Uh, Anyways, um, got a red frame. Yeah, exactly. What kind of canopy is it? Is that a, or is it a tilt up? It's a tilt up. It pivots from the front. Uh, it's hinged at the front. It it uh, latches at the okay, back. Okay, it pivots in front. Yeah. So uh, so my question for you okay. guys, before we were so rudely interrupted, sure. is that uh, uh, how much experience do you have with this sort of aircraft that has a canopy that p- tilts up? And what are the issues with uh, with the uh, canopy becoming unlatched and trying to open? Anybody? Anybody? It's kind of like a door. That's what it's I speculate. It's kind of like a door trying to, to open. Right. That's what I would speculate. Uh, when it's hinged yeah. at the back. I mean, when it's hinged at the front hinged like at that, the front, it opens yeah. at the back. Hinged at the uh, back, and it's going to get a whole kind of different exciting. Yeah. Uh, hinged at the back, and it comes loose in the front, and that's usually a disappearing canopy act. Exactly. Uh, some of the sliders uh, don't react well to coming unlatched, although uh, I've seen home builders put in a stop that requires them to unlock like a seat pin. Mm-hmm. To go past about two inches open, yep. Right. So that he can taxi with it open a little bit until they're ready to take off, and then if it comes unlatched in flight, well, as far back as it can slide is that is that uh, uh, notch. Okay. Uh, but yeah, most of them when they're hinged in the front like that, uh, they're going to rise up a little bit. Uh, make it may be a little bit more than a door comes open depending on the, the aerodynamics and the shape of the canopy, and a whole hell of a lot noisier. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, Jeb, you have and any experience always, with this? Go ahead, Jeb. Not, not with any opening canopies, no. And, and that's always the but the, but the noise and, the, and just being startled uh, is always the, the greatest threat uh, when a door or a canopy uh, gets open. Now, clearly, there are, there are canopy installations and, and airplane configurations. Or, or even a vent window. Or even a vent window. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, All right. Yeah. Um, Jeb, you re- you read the uh, you read the uh, accident reports. Uh, can you recall any serious incidents or accidents that that res- from canopies coming open? This doesn't well, ring any bells. Huh? Uh, no, it doesn't ring any bells, and, and there's I guess two reasons for that. One, I th- I would think it happens fairly rarely, actually. Uh, secondly, 
um, you know, you, you'll often, you know, hear about uh, an aircraft that goes down for no apparent reason. Yeah. Uh, and you don't know, you know, uh, was there a canopy or a door, for that matter, that popped open and the, and the pilots uh, overreacted or something like that. So um, it's hard to say, you know, in the, in the uh, universe of aircraft accidents that have happened since uh, the Wright brothers, yeah, I'm sure someone has, has crashed an airplane because their canopy came up. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, um, it was fun meeting up with Jeff Ward, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, we're going to, we should do this kind of thing more often, uh, he and I, and, and a lot of other listeners from the New England area. I want to, yeah. I want to meet everybody. I want to meet everybody. Uh, let's see now. What else here? Um, so here we go. We've got a great an example of how if you apply a little bit of marketing 101 to the subject of, uh, of general aviation, you can get a great result. We've got a story here from, I should have opened the story before I start talking. Let's see. It's, uh, it's a story from AOPA Online. It says, Flight School Attracts Mall Shoppers with LSA. Uh, Parking an airplane in a mall during the busy holiday shopping season proved fruitful for a flight school in Texas. Say that three times fast. Uh, which sold nearly 170 <laughs> introductory flights and also gathered leads on 130 possible aircraft partnerships. U.S. Aviation, I won't read the whole thing here, U.S. Aviation parked a Remos GX light sport aircraft inside the Vista Ridge Mall in Louisville, uh, Texas, uh, the day before Thanksgiving, and removed it after Christmas, staffing at each hour that the mall was open. It just, uh, duh, this is great. This is great. Marketing 101. Exactly. Yeah, you know. great stuff. Um, and uh, I heard another story. Now, I wish I could put my finger on it. Did uh, Have you guys heard this? Uh, now that they've done this once, like everybody's going, oh, yeah, well, we're going to do that, too. So I heard another story about somebody else who's going to put another LSA in another mall. But this is great if this gets rolling. You know, It's like, let's let's show people how, how exciting this stuff is. Finally. Awesome. Well, it, it, it really helps to have an attractive airplane in, in a in a, in a, in a plan that you can portray as affordable and have some gee whiz factor uh you know past efforts that i've seen i i know a flight school uh a little farther east out here in the midwest that actually rented some uh, storefront space uh that was being unused in a mall uh and opened up just before christmas and they were selling airplane related gifts and uh uh pilot tchotchka and all that and promoting flying lessons. Uh, part of the problem was that they, they really didn't have an attractive program to offer, and they didn't staff it with knowledgeable people all the time. They hired minimum wage, you know, young adult retail workers to be there and sell stuff and hand out brochures and invited them to come out to the airport and call and make an appointment, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and yeah. the next year, I asked the FBO that did this, you know, why they weren't back there. And they, well, they they sold a lot of pilot tchotchka, but they barely made rent, and they didn't get a lot of pilot leads. And well, okay, uh, I guess if you do a half-ass effort, you're going to get a half-ass <laughs> result. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but we've also seen this where they put uh, ultralight operations. 
with the you know some of the principals, the students, the instructors. Uh, same way with hang gliders, where they actually had the people that were engaged in it, and the focus was getting people out to learn to fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. That did a lot better. Uh, so uh, these folks uh, down there in Louisville. Uh, flown through that area many times that they may have just you know found the magic Dakota ring to help juice their uh, winter pilot starts yeah that'd be great uh, I was just gonna say that's just a great idea for for uh, any flight school who uh, has the has the manpower has has the resources to set something like this up at the mall doesn't have to be uh, during the Christmas holiday season although that's a you know a great time to do it but uh, um, you see a lot of of other uh, profit and in, in, in non-profit and in, in NGO kinds of efforts ongoing at, at uh, shopping malls year-round. And uh, there's nothing to prevent, you know, a, a training organization from, from going through these hoops and, and setting up that kind of a of an advertisement. It, it beats, uh, you know, um, uh, trying to... It, it beats sitting around the FBO waiting for people to show up. Yeah. Well, and there's, you know, there's art and craft fairs and uh, uh, community events where uh, I think FBOs, flight schools, could make some real inroads because they're getting people down there that are in the mood to have fun. You know, they're coming out to do something recreational. Uh, And uh, they're more open to these kind of things. Yeah. But, you know, for some reason, there's this mentality that if you're not uh, dedicated enough to drag the answers out of the uh, FBO flight school people, that you don't deserve to to, to participate. That's just right. That, that, that's that that is bovine flotsam. <laughs> yeah, that's right, uh-huh. David. What's this other program that's uh, aimed at uh, attracting new new air uh, uh, flight students? Well, my my my, my longtime old buddy uh, Tom Pagini, who's uh, the principal of flight designs here in the United States, uh, they import the uh, the the flight sport airplane known as the CT. Uh, very successful, biggest seller uh, over the years uh, since the uh, sport pilot movement uh, became official. Tom and his company have uh, managed to build a dealer network, a service network. And they've been working on adding flight school operations to uh, to their offering. And this uh, this week got word through uh, our friend Dan Johnson that they've partnered up with an outfit called Pilot Journey, uh, mm-hmm. which at pilotjourney.com tries to link up people who want to learn to fly with flight instructors in their area. And they have this Discovery Flight Certificate uh, program going that includes a lot of materials and an a, a intro flight that they're uh, – uh, and, and they've got about 400 training, flight training operations registered uh, and their information available through the pilotjourney.com website. So Flight Designs and its flight school network uh, are now working officially with Pilot Journey. Uh, so it would be another reference, another place to look if you were in – in, in, in the quest for the elusive sport pilot training mm-hmm. and know that there's going to be some there and maybe find that there's one closer to you than you knew before. Yeah, yeah. 
We've got a new one up here in New England that uh, um, this is just a teaser. Um, we'll talk about it next week on the podcast because we've got too much here. But uh, but I came across paths with one of these uh, folks just the other day, and it's a, a very cool thing. More on that later. This is Brad Kane, a student pilot flying a DA-20 in frigid Minnesota, and I'd like to give a big shout-out to Jack, Jeb, and Dave, and all the pilots out there in uncontrolled airspace. Jonathan Hardwick calling to, I guess I would be the UCAP field reporter for the Wisconsin district, and calling you from the charcoal pit in Oshkosh eating lunch. I'd like to report that it's slightly less lively, and the clientele is actually older than usual. But it's still good, and Oshkosh looks a lot different in January than it does in July. Hope everything's going well. You had a good Christmas. Did you see the video of the eagle flying? All right, now this is very cool too. All right, this is not an airplane thing, but for those of us who love flight, uh, this is very, very cool. Uh, These folks. Uh, so they're like bird people, and they trained eagles. They, you know, there are people who who had keep eagles as pets, right? Well, they figured out how to attach these little wireless video cameras to sort of a almost like a backpack rig on this eagle, all right? So that when the bird is flying, the cameras are kind of over the back of its shoulder, looking looking from the back of its head. Um, and uh, and they have little little wireless, little, I guess, um, um, radio links, so the video is fed back to the ground, and then they send the bird flying, all right? And apparently, they, over time, they trained the bird so that it wasn't being hurt, and it wasn't uncomfortable, and it didn't mind carrying this rig. And uh, and there's this YouTube video that shows the, the, uh, the footage, if you will that they got from one particular flight and it's very very cool to watch this to be like basically riding on the back of an eagle as it goes flying uh very very neat you get a chance to look at it yeah and it reminded me of the uh the uh the scene in the third star wars movie where uh you know princess leia and uh the the young luke are racing through this dense forest on these little that's right. Uh, yes, scooter things being chased by the bad guys, and you get these point of view shots periodically where the camera is going like Dave, a bat out of hell through Dave, the trees. Dave's showing his age. <laughs> no, no, I remember, yeah, I remember this one six. too. I remember this too. Yeah, no, no, that, that's right. That was a different. That was a different. Well, you're right. It's the same video, David. Uh, they, apparently, there was a different type of bird that likes to fly down low in amongst the trees. And so there's one of the of this bird like literally zooming among the trees. You're right. I hadn't made that connection, but it is just like that footage from from one of those Star Wars movies. Um, yeah, but that that footage in the Star Wars movie was was done uh, a little bit differently. It was. Um, I read an article on it once. Yeah, I did too. Oh, yeah, it wasn't done anywhere near like this, but that's the visual effect is the same. Yeah, but I but the one I liked better was the one of the of the eagle flying up high, and uh, you know you're watching the uh, you know you're watching from behind the bird's head, and you can see it looking around as it's flying. You know, its head is constantly you know you know you talk about seeing a void and and, uh, you know you know keeping your head on a swivel, and this bird is constantly looking left and right and checking things out. You know, and then the second camera they had aimed. down uh, along one of its wings, so that you can. It's really cool to watch the shape of the wing and watch the feathers flutter on on the on the wing, and uh, it's just well, a we really call that variable I, geometry. I just, I just, hang gliding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jeb, go ahead. 
I just had a bad acid flashback of John Ashcroft singing Let the Eagle Soar. Oh! Okay. And I, Anyways, that notwithstanding, it's really, really cool. I have to really decide whether that stays in the podcast or not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I'll let you decide that. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, right. So, anyways, the Eagle video oh. is really cool. It's worth checking out. Uh, the link is. Let's see if it's something I can say. No, it's a YouTube link, and it's got one of these weird YouTube YouTube URLs. So I won't try and do it here. You might be able oh, to yeah. YouTube Google search Eagle in Flight or something like that. But we'll put it in the show notes as well. I don't have enough beer to get that out of my brain. <laughs> I know. Um, cool story from the forums um, and uh, I'm just going to suggest that people go and find it but I will give you the short version once it comes up on my screen here um, the uh, uh, the headline is uh, 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 I hate airplane, airplane noise or my daughter GA and me part 2 this is uh, from uh, listener uh, Ron Argo uh, who has posted before about his adventures with his daughter um, and he basically tells a story about how he and his daughter were sitting out uh, watching airplanes one day and uh, and after sitting there watching airplanes fly over their head they're near an airport or um, watching airplanes overhead and, and all of a sudden the, the uh, daughter turned she says my daughter turned to me and with the most serious face and voice announced to me that she quote hated the sound of airplane engines and the noise they made as they flew over and dad talks about how his heart sank and he just thought this is the almost awful thing until he his daughter explained that the reason she hated the noise was because they were hearing it from the ground and not from in the airplane and uh, so uh, she smiled and said because if I hear them fly over it means that I'm not in one flying and I just hate that she said and so uh, it's a, just a really great story and I'll, I'll let uh, people yeah, check is, it out that is a cute story yeah, yeah. check it out on the website that's uh, very, very neat. I hate the sound of airplanes flying overhead. What's next here? Uh, Eagle in flight. Daughter hates the sound. Uh, oh, Jeb, here's your big chance. We we shortchanged you Uh-oh. last week, Jeb. I'm awful, awful sorry. We we, uh, we uh, uh, used up all of our allotted time and uh, didn't have a chance to get your second quote of the week. So uh, so oh, here right. you go. Uh, no pressure. But uh, what's what's this week's quote of the week? USA Today, uh, once again, um, ran a story. This one was on um, um, New Year's Eve. Thankfully, not too many people probably read it as a result. Um, typically, of course, they you know they bashed, uh, in this case, they bashed, uh, of course, general aviation generally, but they especially bashed um, privately owned public use airports. Uh, and questioned whether the public funds should go towards supporting them. Uh, my quote of the week, uh, and this is um, not a not a slam on AOPA, but it's it's just another you know I guess a slam on, on USA Today and then the reporter writing all of these stories at the behest of the airline industry. But the quote goes like this: AOPA provided a statement to the reporter about the importance of reliever airports, including privately owned facilities to the nation's transportation infrastructure, but the newspaper chose not to include it. And I think that's that's kind of the, my candidate anyway for the quote of the week and um, is, is indicative of uh, the way some of these stories have been slanted uh, by the newspaper and by that particular reporter. Yeah. I don't I know what to say. It's right on the money, honey. It's yeah. right on the money because they have consistently 
Yeah. Uh, this is the third article in uh, in their little vendetta, and they have consistently uh, avoided any semblance of friendly quotes. I think in the first story they might have had a a a supportive airport supportive line or two toward the end of the story, but then they yeah butted that. They've consistently shown a lack of interest in any balance. They've consistently declined or refused or been unable somehow to fit in any balancing or, or supportive information. Uh, and this just shows, that, you know, that that is a consistent uh, practice throughout. And for that, I, I guess I should have warned you guys, but I, I'm creating a new award for 2009 and USA Today gets my <laughs> surprise for 2009 for <laughs> yeah for for reporting that's the surprise and uh USA today and it's shared of course by the reporter Thomas Frank yeah uh and if they'd like to come by Wichita they can pick up the surprise uh in person uh the uh, surprise is here at 121 well <laughs> just contact me and I'll give you the address. Uh, do you do have to show up in person to collect? You know, that could be the title of this episode, but you're going to have to tell me how it's spelled. Just um, like it sounds, the <laughs> surprise. <laughs> so we've got a whole bunch. We're getting down to the hee-haw level here. You yeah, know? we really are. Um, I always liked that show. <laughs> Here we go. Another another heartwarming uh, family aviation story. No, I'm not. I know. I'm very serious. Um, this is uh, this week's off off field landing of the week. It's a very different, a little bit different, a very different kind of off field landing. Um, this is uh, what am I reading from here? Omaha.com. This is yeah, it's like a TV promo. And the, tonight, in a very different, family oriented, warm and fuzzy <laughs> off field landing of the week. This is the website tonight, of the Omaha. I'm a very special blossom. World Herald uh, from uh, Waco. No, 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 no. Hang on a second. Out there, it's called the Weird Herald. Is it? Is it really? I yeah. I, 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 I used to commute to Lincoln. It's called the Weird Herald. Is it really? Okay. Well, in whatever it's called, the story is uh, datelined uh, Waco or Waco, Nebraska. I don't know how they pronounce the one that's in Nebraska. But uh, uh, it says, uh, Lane Star made New they Year's Day. How do they pronounce it, Jeb? They don't. They don't know either. They don't know either. Lane Star made New Year's Day memorable for his family and friends. Star is a chief warrant officer with 17 years of service in the Army. For the past four years, he's been flying Black Hawk helicopters. He'd been badgering his commanding officers uh, with Alpha Company Sixth Sixth Battalion, 101st Airborne, to let him land a helicopter on his parents' rural Waco farm. This year permission was granted. So on January 1st, Star and three crew members uh, brought their Black Hawk down in a soybean field just beyond the farm's main outbuildings. They were flying from Fort Campbell, Kentucky to Colorado, and uh, Dale and Cheryl Star's farm was on the way. Uh, the quote here is, uh, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, Lane Starr said in a telephone interview from Colorado. It's something that 
the community never gets to see. And so he landed in the, their family field, and uh, not only did the family, his parents come over, but apparently a lot of the neighbors and folks from the town came in to check out the uh, the uh, military helicopter that uh, that uh, their uh, their homeboy was uh, was homeboy. I don't know if that's the right term, but uh, oh, uh, was uh, was flying. Uh, very very cool story, and I'm impressed that he got permission to do this. Um, but I am too. I. Uh, um, um, very enlightened commander. I would, I would congr- thank him and congratulate him. Uh, I'm, I'm, I am scratching my head why they needed to do a cross country in a Blackhawk, though. Yeah, well, maybe they were on some sort of assignment. They were going from here to oh, there. Oh, it was a train. It was a training mission. I yeah. can tell you right from, right now. From Fort do- Campbell to to um, Denver or to, to Colorado. Yeah, okay. Well, they needed to make a turn somewhere to make it official. Yeah. Huh. So you know, if they just go direct, you never get to turn. That's right. All right. You go my way in Nebraska. You got to make a left turn there. Yeah. Anyways, that's a cool story, and uh, I agree with Jeb. Uh, 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 much thanks to the commanding officer for uh, realizing this was a nice community thing to do and, and a nice family thing to do, and uh, a nice Absolutely. story. Off field landing of the week. Uh, very very cool. And, and I think we I, I think we should send our thanks out to Department of Homeland Security and TSA for not having reacted and putting Nebraska off limits to air traffic. You're in a mood tonight, David. I suppose it's not all that different than your usual mood, but uh, you're really uh, okay. Uh, we it, are it reaching. Just, it just it just grates more tonight than it normally. Is that what it is? Well, uh, I've been enjoying my birthday slash Christmas present. That's so. right. Your beer of the oh. week. What, what sort of beer of the week do you have this time? I started yeah. out with a Snake River Pale Ale. Yeah, and, and I'm finishing up with a. Uh, Michigan Brewing Company High Seas India Pale Ale, and they're very, very different. Both yeah. of them uh, are pale ales, and I got to tell you, the first one's about nine percent alcohol, so it just made the rest yeah. of the podcast well, get easier ex- and easier. That explains so much. That explains so much. This is this is one of the few times. This is one of the few times that ethanol and aviation do mix. That's true. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Hey, we're reaching the end of our allotted time here. We got a bunch of shoutouts we want to do. Let me ask you guys if there's anything in the list up to the shoutouts that you don't want to skip. I would advise our friends and fellow flyers that if they might have noticed, and they and, and, and they might show up in front of them something printed if they haven't already seen it, that the National Transportation Safety Board. Revised some of its requirements for accident and incident threshold. The threshold for reporting, uh, it would bear being rudimentarily familiar with what those changes are. Uh, in case something came along and beset you, and you, you wouldn't want to get caught with your report down. Yeah, hmm. That's yeah. It. I uh, let's see now. I. Uh um, I skimmed the list of, of what apparently are the changes. I, th- I found it interesting that two of the things that apparently now are reportable are, um, is a typo here, guys, it's actually ACAS advisories, um, and uh, and also runway incursions are both now uh, required reported, as I understand it, now required to be reported. Is that your understanding as well? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Jeb, this is your beat. Do you Have you had a chance to digest this yet? I have not had a chance to digest it. Um, um, there's uh, some of the stuff is a kind of nitpicking, I think. Um, some of the stuff is probably overdue, um, um, but uh, you know, 
one of the things that I, I this kind of brings a chuckle, I guess. Uh, one of the uh, additions, uh, an, an event that triggers a report to the NTSB, apparently, an event in which an aircraft operated by an air carrier lands or departs on a taxiway. Yeah. Incorrect runway is not designed as a runway <laughs> or experiences a runway incursion that requires. Da, da, da. I think that's the Delta Amendment. We'll call that. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Shoutouts. What do we got here? Yeah, Dave, uh, David, you go first. Oh yeah, West Virginia declared January General Aviation Appreciation Month. Yay! Way to go, Governor Joe Manchin. Uh, he signed a proclamation uh, back on January seventh. Uh, if you get a chance, stop in and buy some fuel in West Virginia, and say we appreciate you too. Yeah. That's great. That's great. What, do we know what the story behind the story is there? Uh, do, do, who made that happen? Well, the governor's a pilot. Ah, okay. The governor's an active pilot. Apparently, he and his staff, uh, for whatever reason, with whatever encouragement, uh, got the legislature to uh, make the declaration. He signed the proclamation, and now it's known throughout the nation. There you go. There you oh, go. Throughout West Virginia, anyway. Yeah. Seven. Yep. Jeb, you got any shout-out? Uh, uh, Mac, uh, a gentleman by the name of Mac McMahon. I don't know Mac. Um, I know him virtually. I know him via the uh, DC pilots list, which yep. I've, I've talked about probably uh, too many times uh, here on the podcast. Mac um, and his uh, instructor um, recently completed a flight from, uh, actually this week, uh, last week, I guess, um, from uh, Fort Myers, to uh, Culpeper, Virginia, Fort Myers, Florida, Culpeper, Virginia. Um, on its face, unremarkable, but they did it in an air coop that uh, Mac had just bought and was ferrying back home. And they did it low and slow, and they did, you know, every every two hours they would stop and they got a nice little tour of the southeast United States and uh, parts of Florida, et cetera, et cetera. And I just thought it was, he, he posted a, a story about this on the, on the website or on the, on the email list here. And man uh, after my own heart. Yeah, just a nice little story. I'm talking about a um, little two-seat, uh, of course, an air coupe. Uh, uh, I don't know what kind of power that thing has. Probably about 100 horsepower, maybe maybe even less. I never um, flew one with 100. Most of them were 65 or 85. I was going to say 65, 85, 90, something like that. Um, but just just a neat little story, and, and uh, they took their time and, and um, saw the sights and uh, had a good time. Obviously got home with their new airplane safely, and uh, congratulations, and a, and a shout-out from uh, from all of us at UCAP. Yeah. Yay, guy. Way to go, Mac. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see now. I trip like that myself. Yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. A couple of quick ones here from me. Uh, first of all, a shout out to a, a new aviation podcast that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm liking uh, particularly. Uh, it's called the Mile High Flyers podcast. Um, uh, I have to admit that uh, that one of the things I like about this is at least one of the uh, the uh, contributors Slightly to this. Unfortunate name. Yeah, is a uh, is a uh, no, I, well, you know, maybe that's what they were going for. Um, is a, a listener and a, a poster in yeah. our forums from time to time. So uh, uh, that's really great. But uh, uh, there uh, seem to be uh, approximately you know four, give or take, uh, folks uh, involved from episode to episode of this. Uh, Nate, Mike, Doug, and uh, Ziola, Ziola, uh, who are uh, involved in doing the Mile High Flyers podcast. They're uh, uh, up to episode. Uh, well, according to their website, they're up to episode three. 
three. I would have thought they were beyond three by now because uh, they're they're doing some really fun things with the podcast, and I uh, urge people to check it out. It's uh, uh, milehighflyers.com is uh, is their website, and uh, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. The other one I wanted to uh, shout out cool. to is cool. uh, as of. Uh, I'm sorry, Jeb. Did you have a comment? No. No, no, no. no. I was just okay. I was very cool. Okay. I'll, I'll uh, shut the up other. Now. The other shout out, no, it's okay. It's just your leg, Jeb. It's okay. We can work with it. Uh, is, uh, the, uh, the infamous, or at least I seem to have made it infamous, or it's infamous to me. Alton Bay Ice Airport is open for the year. Uh, they, uh, have started, uh, uh, accepting landings up there. They've plowed the runway on the ice at, uh, Alton Bay, which is, uh, on uh, Lake Winnipesaukee here in, or up there in New Hampshire. And, uh, Winnipesaukee, yes. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's very cool. Uh, they got a really nice write-up in, uh, what was it, AOPA Pilot, I believe, uh, magazine, and uh, um, I would expect that that's going to uh, make it uh, an even more happening place than it usually is. Uh, it's a really cool, I mean, it's cool in many ways, as being this odd temporary airport that only kind of springs into life in the wintertime. Um, the community there is very, very supportive of this airport. They recognize that it's a terrific way to bring people into their, into their community, particularly a community that is primarily a summertime tourist community. And they found the airport is a great way to bring people in in the wintertime as well. And so, Get them uh, there in the middle of winter. Yeah. A couple of years ago, there was a possibility that it wasn't going to happen. And, uh, and a lot of people in the community got behind this airport to make sure that it had the resources and the approvals and whatnot that it needed. So uh, it's, a, it's a cool story all around. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I got an email from uh, listener Jim G., a good friend of ours, uh, who uh, uh, was uh, told me that he was going to be in the area invited me to uh, if I wanted to uh, to drive up he wasn't flying but we were going to drive up and uh, check out the uh, ice the Alton Bay Ice Airport this year unfortunately it's this week while I'm out of town but uh, hopefully we'll get a story from him sometime soon of his impressions of uh, of the ice airport I think that's pretty cool. I hear it's slick yeah <laughs> it's I don't quite understand I, I understand in, in theory you're not supposed to use your brakes on landing anyways so why should it even be an issue it still seems like uh, and you know by the way I was looking at some videos about it today I was showing a friend of mine uh, some videos I found this one particular video that showed this guy kind of turning uh, turning downwind to base and then base to final and you suddenly see the the runway in front of you and and on the particular year, I don't think this video is from this year but on the particular year this video was shot you're you're looking down the runway and the, the runway is not straight all right it's got like a very clear arc to it all right and it's like oops um it's i've seen runways that are like you know not level before but i'm not sure if i've seen one that's curved and and it's especially odd that you would have an ice runway that's curved you know it's like you would probably want to be able to go as straight as possible when you're rolling out on this uh, ice runway but it had a little curve in it that year i thought that was kind of interesting anyways those are my two shout outs the, the, the guy plowing the runway got distracted I think that's exactly what happened. You know, you're out there in the truck, you know, probably the wind is blowing a little bit, you know, and you think you're going straight, but you're actually, like, making a little bit of an arc. You know, he had a little crab angle in the, in the plow, and uh, or he didn't have a crab angle in the plow or whatever. And, yeah. The inside tires were low on air pressure. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's probably what it was right there. There you go. Anyways, uh, any more shout-outs? That got it from me. Okay. Okay. Yeah, stick a fork in it. David, Dave Higdon, uh, is a uh, 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 aviation photographer. <laughs> I'm going to start over no, again. No. I know I can do this. 
Dave Higdon. How about, is, uh, how about yeah. we like your contribution that you can do that? And- That's exactly what I meant to say. And, and David also is an aviation photographer. He's an aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oavbuyer.com, AEA.net, .biz, turn over a rock, Google my name, throw out the uh, golf guy or the theoretical physicist. I, I always took my shots, and I always sliced my formulas. So, <laughs> Okay, I'm sure that means something, but, you know, the beer is good anyways. And Jeb Burnside, great talking with you when, when we can, you know, we heard you just fine. Yeah, we, you, you were a very, very good sport dealing with the, uh, the lag this week. Um, Jeb is an aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? Um, personal website is in the same place it used to be, uh, jeburnside.com. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, uh, day job website is aviationsafetymagazine.com, and uh, I'll pop up occasionally on AvWeb and um, aviationconsumer.com. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Learn more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our excellent show notes. Thanks to uh, Mike Morgan and Royce Earl and to the many other listeners who have created the show opening disclaimer clips. Uh, we are, of course, also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right hand column labeled tip jar it doesn't need to be very much just 10 or 15 dollars over the span of a year is a big help and don't forget you can visit with us all at the uncontrolled airspace website you can read the blog you can view the forums check out the wiki the aviation movies list the new ratings web page of fame and more all of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com david were you going to say something live long go fly because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan and you can't do this through an avatar that's right. And that's enough talking. <laughs> Let's go flying. I got your avatar right here. Um, tango, tango, Foxtrot, no matter. <laughs>